Hey guys, welcome back to Crafting Fitness. Today, Mike and I discuss how to structure in-season training for the CrossFit athlete. In this episode, we combine our previous three conversations on in-season training for the CrossFit athlete and show how we blend them together to effectively prepare our clients for the competitive season. We also discuss why doing Metcons every day isn't going to make you better. We revisit the three-bucket analogy for categorizing aspects of training. And finally, how the training split must change as we move to the end season. If you enjoy this episode, please like and share with others as it helps us build our reach and be able to share more great content with the public. All right, we are back. We are going to give a little bonus episode to the previous three episodes that we've been talking about where we first talked about strength development in season and then aerobic development and then anaerobic or pain training. And now we're going to talk about uh, actually training in the sport and how we blend all those three things together and why we blend all those three, three things together and also why we pull those things out and separate them in the off season and um, just our, our thoughts on why we do that and how we get into the actual in-season sport-specific training. So looking to dive into it, what do you say, Sam? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think a nice thing to lead off with is something Mike and I were chatting about uh, before we started was how a lot of programs or training camps always have a quote-unquote Metcon in their daily training that they give people in their templates. And both of us instinctively thought that that wasn't ideal because what you're essentially doing is you're not necessarily training to get better at the sport, but you're just possibly sweating each day or, or wanting to sweat. Uh, because if you really want to get better at the sport, you need to look at, well, I de- what is the sport? What are the demands of the sport? Where are your limitations relative to those demands? And then how do we come up with a progressive training structure to get you better at those demands such that when you compete, you can express the test better? And that doesn't mean you're going to be doing Metcons each day, because if you are doing Metcons or fatigued work, you're inevitably not consolidating and upgrading your skills, you're actually performing them in a fatigue setting where compensations can arise. And now you're starting to learn how to compensate around fatigue in certain movements. And then when you try to express it at the highest level, you're not going to get as great of a score or as great of an outcome as you otherwise could. So it's interesting to just see how for us and how we've learned and how we work with people that we take a much more zoomed out approach and identify different buckets of training and then how, which ones we need to prioritize more so for each person so that when we do get closer to competition, when we start adding a lot more traditional Metcons and workouts in, people have the base support built to better express those. So that is something that we're going to dive into a bit more um, in this episode. Yeah. And, and, people often, you know, trying to compare it to other sports and while CrossFit is a little bit different because the weight training is in some sense, the sport, whereas other sports, the weight training is, is not the sport. It's assistant to it. And so there's different differences there, but again, drawing some parallels to golf, like we all often do is it would be like just playing 18 holes every day or 36 holes every day and not pulling out and working on your short game or working on your long irons or working on, different aspects of the sport and for you and for me if we were both playing at a competitive level 
those things that we were doing outside of our just playing around would be different because of where our different strengths and weaknesses are. And so pulling that out. And I remember this and when I had the CrossFit gym still, and obviously our program looked different than most CrossFit gyms in the area, especially eight years ago. And, and people would, you know, ask me like, why does, why does our program look so much different and why can't we just do a Metcon every day and having to kind of work through that and explain through that. And eventually got to where we really weren't doing traditional Metcons all that frequently. Um, but the people, you know, were seeing the progressions they, they wanted to, and they were getting stronger and getting better. So yeah, just looking at it from a competitive perspective of why can't we just do Metcons every day. And you said something that, you know, kind of stuck out. If you're, if you're doing everything, you're not doing anything. And you've probably heard some variation of that, you know, whether it's business or something else, you've heard some variation of that. You can't just do everything. Um, but we tend to do that. And I, I see this in other templated programs where every day the, the template is warm up, skill progression, strength, Metcon intervals, and then maybe some bodybuilding to finish. And that's like their daily structure every day for the entire year. And that's kind of what I guess we're saying just on a big picture on the front end is if you're doing that all throughout the year, then you're leaving stuff on the table because maybe interval or aerobic work is where you really need to hone in. And if you're doing that template every day, you can only get, I don't know, 20, 20, 30 minutes of intervals in if that's your daily structure. Whereas the way we do it, if somebody really needs that, they may be doing 90 minutes of purely aerobic intervals. And so you can really hammer that aspect of the sport in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. The three, so the last three episodes, you can think of those as different buckets. And as a coach, you're, you're trying to allocate your finite amount of water in each of the buckets throughout the year. And so based upon where you are, given the competition, you're going to put more water in certain buckets than others. But if you have the same amount of water in each bucket, you can't really develop or or build one bucket more so than the other. So that's, you know, that's what you're essentially referring to is Mm -hmm. if you're, if you just, if it's going to all buckets at all the time, you're probably not really developing anything. There are people who will get better as we've Mm -hmm. spoken about before. I mean, the people who are elite, or who are predisposed to do really well at this the sport, they'll do anything and get better. But for the majority of people um, who aren't elite, which mm-hmm. would be the majority probably listening to this, or that you who is a coach listening to this work with, you have to be a little bit more strategic with how you approach training and, and progressing it. So that's, uh, that's where coming in, that's where looking at these buckets and then, okay, how do we blend them? based on the time of year and now we're getting close to competition, how are we changing up the, the allocation of it so that we can make sure these people are as prepared as possible? Yeah. So we, we've mentioned a couple of times how we blend them together, how we bring it together mm-hmm. to the actual sport. And the first, or sorry, the second episode, you talked about aerobic training and I wasn't on that one. And we talked about this after that, when I listened to that one, and we mentioned it on the last podcast with the pain is the, the, when you get towards the end of that peaking for the pain training, we get up to that two to three minute time frames, And we, we mentioned that pace getting really close to the high end aerobic pace of our aerobic intervals. And uh, the question or the thing that I brought up after the aerobic session was 
talking specifically about those paces. So let's briefly talk about that as far as the aerobic development and what some of those paces may look like as we get go from off season into in season. I don't know if we want to go back up to some of those notes from that session, but just in general, as yeah. those uh, two, as we get closer to the season, you mentioned mm-hmm. starting with like 10 minute intervals at sustained pace or sustained mm-hmm. power in the off season. And then that's mm-hmm. moving towards high effort. And then as you progress through the year, we get you know, down to five minute intervals and, and two to three minute intervals. So talk about that mm-hmm. as far as why, why do we go from 10 to two to three and why is that two to two to four minute interval so important for this sport? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in theory, interval work is best interval work. The pace relative to the interval work is, is ideally a, a, a quarter of the actual race pace. So if you're doing two, three minute intervals, then, it would be a race pace of eight to 12 minutes in theory that can be a little bit faster mm-hmm. if, if warranted. Uh, but that's the, that's the, the principle behind it. So the two to three minute intervals act as a great way of building uh, volume sports specific volume at a pace that will replicate what you would do in the sport. Now, as anyone who's competed or coach people who's competed knows when it's actually, when you're actually competing for a score or for a time, you will always go harder. So mm-hmm. the two to three minute intervals will always be a little bit less than you really could do if it really mattered. And you can't, and this is, I always love what people say this because I just laugh. It's like, and they'll be like, oh, I need to be able to go hard like I have in the open or the core found. It's like, it's impossible mm-hmm. to do that in training because you mm-hmm. don't have the the stress and the, um, the necessity to push that hard because it doesn't count for something. And, and you could, and you wouldn't want to do that because if you did it all the time at that rate, you would get burnt out or injured because it's just so intense and so challenging of a, of an effort that you're giving. So it's good that you can't do that all the time mm-hmm. now without going on a rabbit hole of like, well, then how do you improve and, and become better at that pace and expressing that that's, we've talked about that loosely before, but one of the ways that you would improve that indirectly is by this convergence of your threshold pace and your aerobic pace. And so if you recall to the aerobic session, I aerobic training that I did a few episodes back, one of the things I mentioned towards the end was called uh, the blurring of the lines. And I wrote, when in season, aerobic work is bordering on threshold pace, there's a convergence between levels of effort and maintainable power, for example, a 1K row PR, if your 1K row PR is a 259, your training sets at three minutes and six seconds for four sets, and you can maintain it. So you could do four sets of a 1K at a 306, which is only seven seconds slower than your mm-hmm. your, your maximum effort. Whereas in the off season, those training sets might be a 318 to 320. So the gap is getting smaller between what is your maximum and then what what can you actually repeat for uh, about like, repeated sets or intervals? So that uh, that line is getting closer and closer and closer to where it's almost indistinguishable to where if you're pushing at a really hard effort, you're bordering on your threshold, but you're able to maintain it for the duration of the task, assuming you, you approach it correctly with your pacing strategy. So that's something that you're trying to 
develop and, and dial in as you're leading into uh, competition. And if you're just doing Metcons all the time, you aren't necessarily cultivating the, the volume uh, or the speed of work that will prepare you to be able to do even harder rates of work. Because the, the argument would be that if you're always doing these Metcons and you're not really consciously paying attention to your pace or the, the rate that you're working at, you might just always be going 85, 90% so that when it comes time to go 95%, you don't really know what 95%. You only have one gear and you mm -hmm. can't distinguish between the two. So that when you try to create an, a convergence between levels of effort, maintainable power, you, you can't because you haven't developed that system. You don't have a, a sixth gear. You have like a fourth gear and it's an okay fourth gear. It's not even really a good gear. So you can't even access a fifth or sixth gear. And that's why you have to be strategic again I'm using that word a lot with how you're laying out the training in the off season to prepare you to be able to develop a fifth and sixth gear as you get closer to the competitive season yeah and i would say that the um talking about not having the gears you could you could potentially have the gears by default of just doing different training but potentially even more so than that what you're leaving on the table is the knowledge of those gears and the understanding of the different paces that you need with different um, movement combinations and different time domains. And when you go through interval progressions like this and you're hitting 10 minute intervals or seven minute intervals, five minute intervals, et cetera, you're consciously learning different paces and, and, and consciously learning your different gears as opposed to just um, kind of, you know, blindly throwing a dart and hoping that you find the right gear for the 18 minute MRAP that comes up in the open or the four minute MRAP that comes up in the open. So you're learning these different things. And I would say that's also a, um, it, it's an emphasis on the uh, importance of the design of the training and the movement selections, because as those aerobic threshold intervals get higher and higher paced, and your anaerobics getting a little bit slower. So you're again, getting close to blending those two. Sometimes the only difference is the movement selection that's written. Obviously, if you have a cyclical movement, you can have a pace that's designated there, but the aerobic, whereas the aerobic intervals may be wall balls and toes to bar and the pain or the anaerobic may be thrusters and burpees. And you see where just those two, two different movements make it to where that wall ball toe to bar, they're going to keep that one more aerobic and the, thruster burpee they're going to keep that that's going to be more pain training if that makes sense and so mm -hmm. that's where the importance of, of movement selection matters in those sessions yes agree so let's let's go with so with that now again talking about blending them together in the sport so what are we thinking about now that we're really close to the season uh potentially in the season so maybe a semifinals or a quarterfinals level athlete but they're in the open what are we thinking about when we're riding sport specific workouts mm -hmm. well for context we are one two three four five six seven eight we're eight weeks away from the open room and then we're another four weeks away from the quarterfinals so 12 weeks so we're two two months out and three months out from competition so now we're getting a lot more sports specific 
work. So the pieces for time, the, the mixed work is becoming uh, less uh, voluminous or is it voluminous? <laughs> but I don't know if voluminous is the right word here. Like, I just want to say it's becoming less volume. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make it plural. Okay, I'll look into that. I'm not a yeah, uh, an English major. Um, <laughs> so we're, you know, thinking back to those three bucks. I actually posted about this recently. When you're getting closer to competition and you're starting to do more sports-specific work or more pain work because you're doing things at a higher work rate that will border on unsustainable or possibly more unsustainable work, you have to be mindful of how much strength volume you're actually doing in the training because your nervous system is going to get a hit from all the unsustainable work. So if you're overhitting unsustainable work and then you're overhitting strength work, those guys are going to kind of op act in opposition to each other. And so they can actually both come down quite a bit and you don't want that. So you have to slowly start pulling volume away from the strength contractions as an, as a principle, because there are people that are uh, exceptions to the rule, but uh, you know, as a, on, on the average, you're going to slowly be pulling away from that so that they can put more energy into doing work. That's really going to stretch them. So what might that look like? That might look like they're doing three sets of back squat, three sets of five, and they're starting moderate and only the last set is really tough. So they're getting one tough set of a really challenging, uh, strength contractions or max contra max effort contractions, but the total volume is very controlled. Whereas in the off season, they might do six sets of five and the five it's, a, it's the same way to cross all five sets. So the total volume and the total tonnage is, is higher. Um, so that, <clears throat> that is one way we're manipulating the strength to ensure that we can put more energy and time into these other buckets that we need to be sharpening and building confidence in, which would be the aerobic bucket. And then of course the anaerobic pain bucket where we're uh, maybe better words would be sustainable bucket and unsustainable bucket. I like those words a little bit better. Yeah. So when, when do you start putting in, and obviously it depends on the person, but mm -hmm. when you start thinking about putting in classic open quarterfinal, semifinal style, yep. retcon workout into their the person's program and when you're maybe an easier answer question is because that completely depends on the person but maybe a better answer is what are the when you're designing a workout like that um one how often do you use just past workouts and two when you're designing a workout like that what are the, some of the things that you're thinking about great question so thinking about this episode i don't have many clients who are just preparing for the open and know they're not going to mm -hmm. go past the open. All, mm -hmm. all of my clients are preparing to do well in the quarterfinals or improve on last year's performance in the quarterfinals. So, cause those would be very different. If I had somebody who was preparing for the open, then they, it would probably be eight weeks leading mm -hmm. into the open where they're doing progressive work to get ready for the open. Mm -hmm. Whereas for these people, it's eight weeks to prepare to prepare for the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, a lot of them are, are close to finishing up the first four-week block 
before the second four-week block, which for me are the, are the two intensive phases. And so the second intensive phase, which is about to start in January, that's where I'm adding in a lot more traditional tests or variations of tests. Whereas right now they're kind of at the tail end of doing more, excuse me, sets of work and building volume. This is like towards the very end of it. And now this next cycle will be, you know, something on Monday, something on Wednesday, something on Friday, something on Saturday, and they're all very, they're varied. And so the variation of it for me is based upon what the testing body it is. So if you look at the quarterfinals, because again, a lot of these people that I'm working with are, our focus is on quarterfinals. You have through two years of it, because we don't have a ton of data on the quarterfinal events, but if we look at the last two years, there's two mixed CrossFit style tests that are usually non-complementary, tougher combinations of movements. There's some sort of lifting event, which my guess for this upcoming year is that it might be a, a snatch and clean and jerk max. Like for a 30 minute clock, you have to hit a max in both. Maybe I don't think they're going to do a single lift anymore. Um, and then there's a longer event that I think will have running involved an extended event. And then there's a power, a power event. So a shorter high power. So you, so those are kind of your, your buckets for uh, the characteristics of the testing body. You have mixed tests, which are anywhere from seven to 14 minutes. You have strength, you have an extended test, which is, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, and then you have something shorter and higher power. So then I use that as a, as a reference for, okay, they need to be doing things in all these different buckets. And then how much of it they're doing is going to be what's the weak point. Cause if I have somebody who's weaker, literally, then I will be biasing a bit more uh, strength work in this in the design, but also maybe some of the pieces that they're doing are more uh, strength oriented. So they might do, you know, for time, uh, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, clean and jerk at 205 and ring muscle ups, as opposed to somebody else who might need more volume and more muscle endurance pr preparation. They might do uh, 40, 30, 20, 10 JC sit-ups and wall balls, 40, 30, 20, or something like that as a very simple example. So that's how I'm, I'm bucketing these different characteristics of testing to ideally prepare them as well as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, not to be overlooked, the, the chaos and the classic CrossFit stuff still has individual mm -hmm. emphasis on it. How about, um, I, I'd like to hear from you, because I know you mentioned this before we started, because I would, it'd be good to hear how you think about it, because I, of course, just shared how I think about it, because maybe you look at it a little differently than I do, the designing yeah. of the pieces. Right, and yeah, and, and the, for context, a little bit more where I was asking the question from was talking specifically about, um, I mean, obviously, you have to look at the whole weekend of quarterfinals, but talking specifically about CrossFit classic Metcons. How do, how do I design those and how do I think about those when I'm getting into that part of the season for the person? And so we talked about the structure of the aerobic work and like the movement selection and the, the cycle rate and things like that. And we talked about the same thing with pain training and like how the, the sport is or how the movements are specific to that. So now that we're taking all that and translating it into the sport and CrossFit, and sports specific when i'm thinking about these type of workouts a couple of things again with the individual emphasis i'm thinking about 
transition between movements, like how making sure they're learning to have fast transitions and how, how to have efficient transitions. Um, there's more chaos, meaning there's to the next point that I put in there, the learning, learning to not be in a specific system. Um, I think that's something that in our kind of ecosystem of coaches and clients, we get wrapped up into almost too much into the, is it an aerobic training session? Is it a pain training session? Is this CP session? Like, what is it? And at the end of the day, CrossFit is not any of those. <laughs> it could be a both. It could be none. It could be like, it's, it's just a, it's chaos and it's a mixture of all of them. So getting either help, either reminding myself to take that bias out of training a specific system and training, but instead training CrossFit and potentially helping the client depending on their mindset around that. Maybe they're not that conscious enough so they don't have to think about it but so back to your question the things i think about is is kind of similar to what you said like does this person need crossfit with an emphasis on strength so they need that um like uh what was it 2021 point something with the the heavy squat cleans building and the tota bar so it's a it's a big volume of tota bar there's some some double unders in there but the the weight gets heavy the cleans do they need something like that or do they need something where it's um you know lighter more turnover so they have uh, four total bar six dumbbell thrusters 24 double unders they need something where it's just a bunch of transitions and it never gets super heavy what are the things that they need the most and trying to get that and that's where potentially pulling from past workouts is I think really important, especially for coaches that are relatively new. And I would say more so even new into our type of thinking about things with the aerobic and the pain in the off season. Cause like I said, you can get almost too wrapped up into that where you, it's hard for you to design, at least for me, it was for, for mm -hmm. a time period, it was hard to design quote unquote random CrossFit workouts. Cause I was mm -hmm. always thinking about like what system am, am I actually trying to train or what thing am I actually yeah. trying to train? So it was easier to just say, you know what? I want them to do 20.3 or I want them to do 19.3 or whatever and yeah. choosing so you can get the actual sport. Cause at the end of the day, the sport is the sport and that's the best thing to use mm -hmm. as a measure. Like you said, quarterfinals, we only have two years worth. So it's a little bit harder to use that. But if we're talking about the open using mm -hmm. past open workouts is, is really important um, around this time of year. So I don't know if I answered that question or if I dodged it, but. No. Well, I mean, well, one good thing you mentioned, because this is true, is I think as you as you start looking at training in a different way where you're thinking about these different buckets and you're thinking about how you're allocating time and resources to each of them, it, it does kind of sterilize your, your thought process and uh, can limit your uh, development of people's ability because you're you almost hold back a little too much and and I think it's a necessary learning curve because you're trying mm -hmm. to upgrade how you look at this from a systems perspective and then eventually you do have to start okay well how how do I add in enough chaos to where or how do I add in enough uh, challenges that they have to overcome so that they have to learn to kind of self-organize around the task and not be too you know, in their head about, Oh, am I, is this sustainable? Is this not sustainable? Like you, you need them mm -hmm. to become almost unconscious of that, where they just 
okay, this is the task I have to do. This is how long it's probably going to take. And this is my pacing strategy. And I'm going to do this and execute. Um, and you know, like for me, one thing, one, a turning point for that was in uh, 2020. I, up to that point, I never, I didn't use uh, anaerobic builds very well. It, I like, I would do it, but it was very gentle because I just didn't, I didn't really know in design and so i wouldn't i would just touch barely and then i would bias the other things that i I felt i was really good at and while those other buckets would be really developed for competition that bucket wouldn't really be developed and so people didn't really have the the fifth sixth gear that they needed to be pushing towards top end with higher more challenging output pieces now granted those years it was just the open and then sanctionals and stuff like that. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't, it was still required, but now it's so much different because there's an intermediary step of the quarterfinals that people can actually prepare for. And so that's been a nice uh, development in my process to learn, well, how can I develop this other bucket that I, that I, I somewhat neglected just because I was, I didn't have a, a good enough understanding about how to really integrate it in the training. So um, and then as a byproduct, reason I'm mentioning all this is because I started doing that, I could add more chaos back into the design and I could feel as though I, I was getting people away from that sterilization that can happen when you're, when you're too closed off with your thought process and add in pieces that were a lot more chaotic and, uh, just give them an opportunity to figure it out and see, you know, how they could handle the uncertainty of the task. So I think there's a, a learning aspect there that comes through repetition of the, of the practice. Um, because you're right. You, it's, it's funny. You could, you could philosophize over, well, is it better to uh, make people more conscious and more self-aware of like these different paces and their training on the whole, or is it better to just make them unconscious and just, push it as hard as possible. It's like, well, you could have a pretty good argument back and forth on both of those. But I think that ideal answer would be it's a blend of the two. So that's mm-hmm. what you're trying to get to in the practice. Yeah. And it's learning to, like you said, learning to navigate that on your own. And so mm-hmm. uh, even when I have people, you know, they're throughout the year, you know, asking the intent of the session and putting a big emphasis on that. And when we get to this time of year, I'm, you know, potentially purposefully saying like, you know, the, the goal here is to get the best score you can get. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not giving you any more direction than that. Like the, yeah. the goal is to get your best score. Now, if that means that you think you need to break it up, partition it from the start, or if you need to take these breaks or whatever, like that's what you got to learn and figure out. Um, because we can, obviously as coaches, we can lead and direct on that. But at the end of the day, the, the athlete has to be, conscious and aware of that to a degree that that consciousness could be subconscious <laughs> um it, as they progress in that in their development and maturity it almost becomes second nature but um it's got to be developed at some point so um you mentioned your if we talk about a little bit uh the quarterfinals person mm-hmm. and blending the sport blending the um training systems as we get closer Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we've used the open potentially as some of the pain training as we get closer to that. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe explain like why, why do why does uh you know the pain training typically ends around the two and a half three minute mark? Why does all of a sudden now an open workout and you kind of alluded to it when you were saying people say that they need to be able to do it like they go as hard as they did in the open, but mm-hmm. why does now an open workout work for a pain training session? If that, does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well. If you're doing something once and you're doing it hard for time or for a score, then it's not going to be sustainable or repeatable. Like it's not, mm-hmm. you couldn't rest five minutes and do it again. You won't if, if you gave it the right amount of effort. So mm-hmm. as you're moving through this pain progression where you're starting really short, powerful intervals and you're extending it out, so you're extending out your power, you're getting to about the three minute mark like a 1k row for time where that's kind of a, a top end expression of what we call like lactic endurance. So you're, you're challenging the uh, unsustainable system as hard as you can. Um, man, I feel like I, I use way too many different words to try to describe this power system. And I, it makes me so uncomfortable inside because I don't like certain words and then I like certain words and then I feel like it's too all over the place. And then I feel like I need to be more clear on what it is, but I don't like, it's just, (laughs) so I know I, (laughs) I gotta like sit and just, okay, this is what I'm going to call it. And I'm sticking to it because I just like, I don't like saying anaerobic because it's not really anaerobic because there's aerobic uh, aspects involved. And um, I pain's okay but that's like it can be kind of ambiguous and the power is like <laughs> ambiguous so sorry yeah. for my rant here uh, no, well, but <laughs> maybe uh um this doesn't this doesn't simplify the words but i'm just thinking like the 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 reason the open is the, part of the reason the open workout gives you that dose response is because there's people watching you have the pressure you have all that stuff which makes mm-hmm. you go to that sixth gear, which is completely mm-hmm. unsustainable. And mm-hmm. even though it was a 12 minute AMRAP, it yeah. works as that because that last two to three minutes mm-hmm. is the anaerobic pain, yep. whatever word that we can't figure yeah, out. You're losing power. It, it's that, it's that that you're yeah. getting the dose response in there. So mm-hmm. I said that didn't simplify the words at all. It actually yeah. created more words, but yeah. yeah. And well, and I, it, it's, it's, you know, the power is dropping. And so for people who are better, the drop in power is a lot smaller, mm-hmm. which allows them to recover faster and do more. Whereas for people who are not as good, the power is dropping a lot more uh, precipitously, I think is the right word. So that's what you're trying, of course, not to, to go on a tangent. That's what you're trying to do over time is, as an athlete is you're trying to minimize the, the drop in power across the whole test. So that's why, yes, doing open workouts or creating tests that, uh, replicate what the actual test might be becomes your uh, continuation of training that system. And then in theory, after you've done a build of that system, that bucket for four to eight weeks, the adaptations stay in your system for up to a month. If you didn't necessarily train it to the degree you were, but if you are doing things that would train that system or involve that system, then you could probably hold the adaptations longer than four weeks. So um, there's also a lag. So that's something else that I mentioned is that usually you're, you're making these adaptations and there's like a lag 
adaptation that's taking place in the system. So you, you cease it a little bit before the competition to uh, allow some of the fatigue to recover and then also allow these adaptations to kind of get into their, their peak form so that when you do compete, you're, you're as prepared as possible. So, but we don't need to get into weeds there because the knowledge set for both of us isn't as in depth there because the physiology is, is uncertain. And I don't know the literature well enough mm-hmm. to like really dive into that. And I don't think it's really necessary. Um, mm-hmm. I think one thing we could talk about is looking at this uh, split for one of my quarterfinal level type people. Mm-hmm. And I can give you how this would change as they get into this next cycle where there's going to be a lot more sports specific work showing that transition from, okay, there are, there's more bucketed pieces in this one. And then the next cycle, it's a little bit more loose because we're moving towards we're getting closer to the actual sport. Yeah. You can do that. Anything to add on that previous? No, no, no. I think okay. that was good. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add this to the show notes so you guys can see the split that we're looking at. I don't have all the pieces inside of it, but I can easily uh, share my screen with Mike and show one of my clients. So Monday, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say we're going to, we're going to attempt to do uh, maybe a YouTube or something where we can show it and talk through it with some yes. more detail. We'll attempt. Uh, okay. So this guy he works out or trains five times a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So Monday and Friday are similar where Monday and Friday have a bias towards weightlifting and strength training for the lower body. And then uh, mix sets that are, are mixed between gymnastics and uh, barbell movements. So Monday is snatch on the front end. So there's a snatch prep, there's a snatch complex. So this again would be a way of, uh, getting a tough hit for his CNS, but not with a ton of volume. So instead of doing 12 reps of snatch, he's doing just a tough complex within a, a fixed time window. So it's limiting the amount of fatigue he can accumulate. And then he's doing some tough squatting sets, again, limited amount of sets with a progressive increase in load. And then finally some mixed sets where it's muscle up, clean, burpee muscle up or something like that. And then each week it's kind of extending out. So he's practicing muscle endurance with these more mixed sports specific movements. And he's acquiring some more volume uh, in an intense setting before moving into doing something for time or something more sports specific. And so on Friday, interrupt real quick. This is, this is a quarterfinal athlete and this is current as in like eight weeks before they open. Yes. He's on, this is, uh, he's on week four of four this week. So, He's about to finish this split next week's at deload. And then the first week of January, he would start the second intense split uh, and prep for quarterfinals. And then Tuesday. So I've had some success doing this where Monday's a high day. Tuesday's a low day. Wednesday's a high day. Thursday's a low day. Friday's a high day. Saturday's a high day. So Monday's a lot. Tuesday is a cyclical piece where I'll, I'll do some increasing effort sets or just cyclical sets in general. And that increasing effort allows me to control the amount of intensive volume that they're getting um, and allows them to just do a lot of easy work. <clears throat> and then Wednesday, 
they're doing some bending with some handstand walk practice. Then they're doing the, the power intervals that we've talked about. That's progressing, progressing out. And then they're doing a flush and then they're doing something short for time. So that short for time piece acts as a, uh, an unsustainable piece for time on the back end of the sets. And that's worked really well for helping their system upgrade its ability to get into the sixth gear more quickly. I did it in my training for a while, uh, pre-comp and it, I felt it worked really well. And so I've used it the last, I don't know, three years now with people. Um, and it seems to be a good way to get them, uh, used to that next level of speed, especially as the next cycle, they would be doing two to four minute pieces that are really hard. Um, and then Thursday's recovery. And then Friday, again, similar to Monday so with some many, accessory work. Question on that Wednesday. How many set, I, mean, I, I may have zoned out when you said this, but how many sets of that, those power sets that I do them before the for time piece? They do, they do about uh, two minutes worth in total. Okay. So uh, six sets of 20, four sets of 30, eight sets of 15, 10 sets roughly of 10 seconds. Um, so it's so about not, two minutes. Yeah. Not so a ton. Not, not anything crazy. Yeah. No. Yeah. So a couple minutes, flush the legs a little bit. And then the for time piece is anywhere from three to six minutes. So they're mm -hmm. getting, they're getting about, let's say six to eight minutes of, you know, hard, unsustainable volume on that mm -hmm. Wednesday. And then mm -hmm. the next cycle, they're going to be doing uh, about the same amount, but in one minute to 90 second to two minute intervals. Mm -hmm. So I'm in that six to eight minute window for this quarterfinal person on a, on a weekly basis mm -hmm. um, of that type of work. And then Friday, similar to Monday, <clears throat> except there's, uh, well, the accessory work on the back end, it's kind of person to person dependent because if things are good, then I don't really have that in there and I'll have something similar to Monday. And then Saturday they're doing some muscle endurance sets that I kind of, I use that as a, as a, uh, a gateway into more chipper extended pieces for time. Mm -hmm. So each week I'm kind of extending the volume. And then by the, the next cycle, they're doing some sort of sports specific chipper um, or extended piece. And so that acts mm -hmm. as like a nice preparatory build into that so that's how i think about this week of training or not week but the split that will act as a nice lead into the next one where the next one would be they come in they do some sort of tough lifting they prep and then they do some sort of open quarterfinal style test and then tuesday again a lower day which is maybe cyclical based and then Wednesday, they're doing their power intervals, which is, you know, two to four minutes, really hard work. And then Friday, similar to Monday. And then Saturday is like in a long extended test. So then they have one, two, three. So they have like three sports specific type pieces. And then they have one session of uh, like power sprint intervals. And so that would be the generic layout for the four weeks on the second intense split for uh for the, for the quarterfinal type athlete. And they'd have like, they'd have uh, like three tough strength pieces in the week, three to four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I like that. It's um, 
the the importance that you have on where the intensity is allocated and trying to prepare them as best as possible to be able to hit those sets with as much intensity as possible and still recover mm -hmm. from it is is well laid out and like you said it's a progression if we we you don't have full context because you don't see what the previous cycles consisted of um mm -hmm. but we know that it's going from less intense to more you mentioned the next cycle starting in january will be a little bit more intensity um and so it's a this is kind of a it's a good one to go over because it's kind of a stepping stone between mm -hmm. less intensity and and sport specific intensity and so it's a good good progression but it's um like you said it's kind of just enough hits um where they can get the response that they're looking for without just hammering them too much um, and prepare them like you said to kind of prepare them to prepare them for the next stage exactly yeah it's uh dang it you said something right there and i was gonna hit on it but it's just a it, i guess it's it's a very nice generic's not the right word but uh, a smart approach to laying out intensity in a way that gives them time to recover and adapt to it really well. This, this has worked. I've used this, this skeleton of an idea many times over and it's, it's been effective for people. Now, again, this would be, let's say phase two. Now, if people get to phase three and they're actually semifinal athlete or they're, they're trying to develop themselves further, then this isn't sufficient to do that. Mm -hmm. They would need, of course, more volume. They would need this to be laid out differently. Um, so this is a great, like, phase two. Phase one would be somebody getting ready for the open or being capable of the open, and then phase two to be very reductionist. Phase two is like, okay, they can do the open. Now, how do we get them ready for quarterfinals to get better at quarterfinals? It's like, okay, well, this works as a, a nice framework for doing it. But again, you can't use the same one as people keep leveling up. It's got to evolve and meet them uh, where they're at. Perfect. That's a good stopping point. We will do our best to get live uh, next week, and we'll obviously put out some information on that if we are doing that so you can jump on. Um, if there's any more specific questions around uh, open or quarterfinals or semifinals prep that you want us to touch on, reach out to either one of us or the Crafted uh, Instagram, and we'll do our best to address it. Thanks, Mike. Crafting Fitness is powered by Crafted Coaching. To learn more about individually designed fitness and to explore our range of goal-driven programs, head to www.crafted.coach.